Welcome to Rough Drafts, How God Writes His Love in Our Stories, a podcast that explores the faith journeys of our friends and neighbors in Burns, Tennessee. Everyone has a story to tell, and in this podcast, we'll hear powerful and inspiring stories of how God works in the ordinary lives of people like you and me. Our stories are unfinished and perfectly imperfect. They are just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. Well, friends, this is a different episode of Rough Drafts today. This is the first on location one. You want to play Guess Where We Are? I don't know. Maybe maybe you figured it out already if you've you've been Facebook stalking me. But when I left home to come to this place, uh, it was 19 degrees in my truck. And when I landed in this place, it was 83 degrees. And oh, it has been so wonderful. Today's guest is a man of many talents. He wears a whole lot of hats. I'm surprised his neck doesn't break with all the hats he wears. He He is a civil engineer now. He has constructed a utility. He has been an AT&T and DirecTV installer over the years. He's had his own companies. He's a soccer phenom. He is the missionary in residence here at Torch. It is Dalton Hines. Welcome, Dalton. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Nice to see you. <laughs> <laughs> well, nice to see you. We've been hanging out for the last three days. So yeah. we've spent a lot of time together in a truck. And just tell folks what we've been up to. Man, uh, just... You know, we're we're busy here in Honduras. There's always work to be done, people to help, people to serve, and love to spread everywhere we go. So that's what we do here. I first got to meet you last summer on the torch trip uh, with our crew, and we didn't really spend a whole lot of time together because it was just mass chaos. Go, go, go. Yeah. Uh, but this weekend has been so neat to get to uh, just visit and actually get to know you. And I'm really excited to ask my normal question because I think most people look at missionaries and say, what in the world? You know, like, did they just come out of the the womb to be missionaries? Like, you know, did mom drop them? What, what, what went wrong? Who hurt you? No. So uh, I'm just going to ask, what's your God story? Oof. Um, my story, maybe a little bit of background might help you. Uh, I'm 34. Uh, I have three kids, three boys, all under nine, mm-hmm. five, seven, and nine, and they they are definitely my life. You know, they're everything I work for. Try to spoil them as much as I can. Uh, it's hard to do that in a third world country uh, because they don't get to get as spoiled, you know, as as the average American would. Uh, they get to kind of live under the radar a little bit so they don't get to get that full American experience. Yeah. You know, which I wouldn't say is the best for, for kids. You know, I think we over, overdo that sometimes. Absolutely. If not all the time. So I think it was good for them to have a third world experience and kind of hopefully see what kind of impact that would have on them. And growing up, we can see that they're learning a new language or second language, and I can just already feel that they're going to be really talented in the future. I don't know a lot of nine-year-olds who can swing a hammer like your boys. Yeah, and that's great. You can definitely do it. They can do some work. Mm-hmm. So how did you end up here? How how, old, how did Dalton become Dalton? <laughs> you know? 
man, um, back when I was a kid, my dad, when I was 13 years old, put me through a drive-thru. Uh, we were going through a drive-thru at McDonald's and told me, would you guys want extra french fries today? And I was like, yeah, that's weird. But my dad would never give me extra fries because I would always eat a large fry and I could kill them every single time. It got me a second large fry that day and I was just stoked. Could not under, could not understand what was about to happen. 13-year-old got the hit with, we're going to move to Honduras. And my brother is 11 at the time. So I've got a brother and we lived here for almost three years. So was it like you're going to Honduras? Was it a, what do you think about Honduras? Like, how did that conversation? It was a, it was a, what do you think about us moving to Honduras? And what did you think about moving to Honduras? I, I, I said I was not. Yeah. I was not moving to Honduras. I did not want to move here, surprisingly. And um, I told him I just got a girlfriend and nobody wants to leave their girlfriend. <laughs> All right. She might have so, been when you ever uh, Before it ever started, we just ended it, you know, because we knew that there was no chance. We were little, you know. Uh, maybe if we were adults or something, that, that could have been a different story. But 13-year-olds probably shouldn't even have a girlfriend anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was just, you know, first true love kind of story. And, and uh, that that went downhill quickly, but that was totally okay. Uh, I had been used to moving many places. My dad was a youth minister at many different places. My mom was a realtor and my dad's a handyman. So we'd always flip houses to make ends meet with youth group uh, or with youth ministry payment, you know, because they don't make a lot of money. No. Youth ministers don't really make enough money, uh, especially back in those days. Yes. It was very, very uh, low on the on the pay scale. And so I'm going to just go on this little soapbox here. I have always thought it's really, really dumb how so many churches have taught, treated youth ministers as second tier ministers. Like when I preach, I'm talking to grownups who theoretically have some discernment, judgment, and experience. Mm -hmm. If I kind of stink at it, it's probably okay. They're going to figure it out. You're talking to impressionable kids at the most moldable time of their lives. Like if one of us needs to do a good job, which one of us is it more important as a good job? Probably not me. Yeah. You know, oh, sorry, side note. He's very, very good at what he does. Yeah. Um, he's very good at um, persuading kids into, uh, you know, following Christ. And so that was what he was really good at. So you'd have a lot of church offers and and he'd end up training, you know, people, mentors uh, as, a, as a mentor. He'd have internships and all sorts of stuff. So that quickly, you know, became a, a thing where we were moving, you know, every couple of years to a new church. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like we were staying at one church our whole life. It was just wasn't that. So I quickly adapted to growing up and moving a lot of places, making new friends, you know, being social. Yeah. I could never be not social. Uh, I just, it just wasn't, my dad instilled it into me to where I had to make new friends. Yeah. Um, which, you know, at times can be lonely because you have to start over. Like, you know, every time you go somewhere, you got to start fresh. Yeah. So that starting fresh was, was, was a rough, uh, time, you know, every time you start somewhere new, uh, just like Honduras. When we moved here when I was 13, 
I did not know enough Spanish or any. Oh. Uh, so no so, friends, no language. Well, we we had English school that we had an English school that we went to up in uh, one of the church, not one of the churches, but one of the English schools up by the Jesus statue, which is where if you you know the Jesus statue. Yes. I don't know if you want to explain what that is to them. Uh, short story, gorgeous giant statue of Jesus overlooking the town built in remembrance after a hurricane to try to give people hope. That a yeah, it's kind of like the, the Brazil yeah. Jesus statue or the statue of, yeah. Anyways, it's about that big. It's not quite as big. Uh, this one's, I think, about 200 feet tall. Yeah. Just pure concrete. It's short Jesus, not tall Jesus. It's yeah, short, short 200 foot Jesus. <laughs> um, and so anyway, it's just a, 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 a symbol of hope is what it what they built the statue for. Yeah. So that people can look up the mountain and see him, you know, with his hands in a position to where it makes people feel welcome to come yeah. to him. Instead of like the one in Brazil where his hands are just straight out like he's conquering the world. You know, uh, this one is more loving, you know, kind of version of Jesus, which is, I think, what most people see when they see this one. Yeah. Um, so I lived up on that side of the uh, Tegus, which is the capital of where we live, and went to school there for three years, seventh to almost 10th grade. We left halfway through 10th grade uh, after Hurricane Katrina hit. Mm. And I started picking Spanish up towards the end, uh, but it was a struggle, you know. I have hearing aids, so it was very difficult to hear all the sounds. Uh, most people would say they didn't, they wouldn't believe that I had a hearing issue yeah. with my speech because most most people have a speech issue where I have hearing issues. Um, but as a young kid, uh, I had lots and lots of uh, struggles for sure, growing up with, with these hearing aids. And uh, I'll, come, I'll come back to that. But right now, how I got to Honduras, I left at two, in 2005 to go back to Louisiana after Hurricane Katrina hit because my dad uh, wanted to come back to his hometown, uh, which was Louisiana. And he took over a lot of the disaster relief uh, in Louisiana for Katrina. And I quickly enrolled into a Christian school in Mandeville, Covington area, and quickly started school there again, you know, every couple of years, it's nothing new. Yeah. Quickly immersed myself into another English school. How did that go for you? Uh, it was, it was difficult. Uh, honestly, reentering this society was a little different than uh, than coming out of it because every culture, like once you get used to something for a couple of years, then you have to change it all over again. Yeah. So you have to be very adaptable, very open to accepting changes, um, not letting it overwhelm you, which I think for me has been really uh I guess that has trained me to be more forgiving uh, instead of having to be like, no, it needs to be like this. Yeah. Or we're not doing that because that's just too much. It's overwhelming. Uh, so I think putting myself or 
being put in those situations has has allowed me to grow a certain way, allowed me to receive a skill set. I guess you could call it a skill set by, you know, just trial and error, you know, just going through the motions and picking up on it and just growing, you know, through the whole thing. And so I, I graduated in, in 2008. I'm 34 years old and I've got those, my, my three boys, my beautiful wife. We got married a couple years after I met her on my first missions trip, or not on her first mission trip to Honduras, which was about uh, 15 years ago. 15 years ago. I can just hear your dad making some comment about how, see, look what happens when you come on a torch trip. You might yeah. be injured, you know. I, I think that back about 13 years ago. Okay. We've been married uh, 11 years, and we were we were engaged for a year and dated a year before that. So, yeah, so it's been right around uh, 13 years. Very cool. Yeah. So you talked about moving a lot and, yeah, spending you were in different places in Louisiana, different places in the States. Then you're in Honduras, and then you're back in the States, and now you're back in Honduras. I've heard people describe missionary kids as, as third culture kids because nowhere is home. Yeah. Did, did you experience that? What was that like? Um, yeah, I don't personally, you know, as a child, the I, I don't, I do remember, like, as far as a place growing up, uh, no, no one home. <laughs> uh, we, we must've had probably 20 plus homes, uh, that we lived in, in those 20 years. Yeah. So every year it was a different home. So no, I never really would call anything home. Uh, just my family would be home. Yeah. Wherever they are, you know? So how does that affect you? Um, how does it affect me? Yeah. In what way? I mean, is um, are, are you? Does it feel good to not be tied down to a place? Does it feel like you miss something? Is it? Is it hard to build lasting relationships? You feel like you move every two years. You know, what, how does that shape who Dalton becomes? I know that's kind of a deep, hard question. Yeah, uh, I think. I guess it could shape anyone. If, if you, I guess more than anything for me, it's about, I guess it, it helps you realize where your priorities are. Because if you prioritize wherever your home is and you make this your home, because you shouldn't, if you think about it, you really shouldn't make this world your home. There's a song about that. Um, so, Yeah. We all know it well. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Yeah. We all know that song. And so I, I mean, I guess, I guess you could say I'm blessed that I haven't had to feel like I miss home. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> um, I do miss, you know, like coming to a place with a place where all my family's at. Yeah. Um, but, because now we can't we can't do that anymore, you know. We have multiple sets of grandparents, you know. We have to go visit them in four different places, yeah, in four, uh, three different states. So there's no one place that could be home, you know. So there's going to be 
but we're different places or and our home is our home here yeah um if anything i think i have lived in this house longer than anywhere else i have lived oh wow in these last five years yeah so my kids might get to experience a little bit of that in a third world country though that's pretty cool though so yeah so i mean they'll i'm i'm sure we don't know what god has planned you know as far as where we'll be in the next year or two five years whatever that may look like yeah i think it's important that we are open to going where he sends us whether that means to another country or somewhere else in the u.s yeah so tell me uh, just tell me a little bit about your faith journey because that's never a straight line you know tell me what what that's looked like uh, for you um I was baptized at 11. I was 11 years old. I got baptized. My brother was nine. And we got baptized at the same time. Um, he actually was having the conversation with my dad and another guy. I think it was my grandpa or my uncle, one or the other. He, had a, he was nine years old and popped the question and I was nearby and I you know, I hadn't knew about baptism and I heard my brother saying he wanted to get baptized and I quickly was like, yeah, you know, I, I want to do that too. Yeah. Uh, so it was just a couple of years before we moved to Honduras. Uh, but to back up, my, I'll, I'll back up all the way up to my childhood because I think maybe some people can relate with the struggles growing up. Uh, when I was a kid, I was born... When I was a baby, I was born with perfect hearing, and I was all the way up until I was three years old. I had good hearing, and um, when I was around three years old, I started not to respond to my parents, and my aunt, Brenda, who's from Florida, would would call me, and I wouldn't answer her. And, or my mom would say that I wouldn't answer her, I'm ignoring her or whatever. And my aunt would have figured out that I needed to get my ears checked because I could hear you if you had yelled at me, like, you know, turn my head and look. Yeah. And so, but I was a, you know, I was three years old, so I'm, I'm not really going to fully understand language yet. Yeah. Um, but I could respond to noises if I could hear them. So shortly after that, I realized I needed to be in a, you know, audiologist and see them and get hearing aids. I ended up having three sets of tubes because they had fallen out over the years hmm. or over the months, I guess. So when I had, by the time I was uh, four, I had lost 80% of my hearing. Oh, wow. So from three to four, I went almost completely deaf uh, just for ear infections, tubes nowadays they stay in your ears the way they're supposed to. Yeah. Back then, you know, they would just fall out, slip out. So they had to, there's a lot of scar tissue and damage there. Um, moving on, uh, in Florida, I was bullied a lot for having hearing aids. And, you know, when I turned six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all the way up to 11 or 12, I was very, very much picked on my whole life for having hearing aids and they weren't these technology we have now right they were these big 
you know, wallet-sized hearing aids that would go on the back of your, you know, ear. It looked like you're literally carrying a banana behind your ear. Yeah. It was awful. Yeah. And I under understood why it would draw people's attention, you know. Um, you know, now they have Bluetooth, you know, it's kind of a benefit if you ask me. I forgot about your hearing aids and we were in the truck with you and the phone rang and you started talking and none of us could hear the conversation and Marshall and I looked at each other like, is he hearing things? <laughs> like, what's the deal? And, Hearing aids. There's hearing yeah, aids. Yeah, so now them. now they're they're a benefit, but they also make people think I'm crazy. So yeah, there's that. Uh there's that. I'm not I'm not crazy. Uh, I have you know Bluetooth, <laughs> the the phone rings in my ear and I can hear them equally on both sides. So that's a, a huge plus for me, which, you know, for the first twenty years I couldn't I couldn't ever use any kind of music to my ear. Because, or any Bluetooth yeah. to my ear because it was never a good quality and I could never understand it. But with this technology, it's made a big difference. Yeah. Uh, when I, I remember when I was young, the biggest time I got, one of the worst times I got bullied as a kid, I think I was seven or eight or something like that. I, at the school I was at in Florida, uh, elementary school, they would make me put my hearing aids in my desk for PE because I would sweat. Well, anybody, everybody would sweat yeah. in Florida. You, you just go outside and you sweat. <laughs> so I would put them in my desk and that was, that was my job. I, I, I couldn't hear during recess. It was just awful. Right. Hmm. So I went and played recess. I was a really good basketball player. You know, we played knockout and I'd always make it to the last few. Sometimes I'd win. I was always the first one out. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny. It's funny. Did you trip a lot? Uh, I wasn't so much tripped. It was just generally uncoordinated. Couldn't shoot. Couldn't pass. Couldn't catch. <laughs> really, none of the things you, you needed to be. Probably made it halfway through if you were just playing defensive. <laughs> if you just like before you, after you shot once and just like hit the other person's ball. Well, you know, I was like, I wasn't aggressive enough. I, I had. That's why I ended up running because you didn't need talent to run. You can just do that on sheer suffering. At your own pace. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm slow. You know, there's a sake. If you can't be an athlete, be a runner. If you can't be a runner, be a distance runner. Yeah. So I would leave my hearing aids in the desk at PE time, at recess, or recess, PE, both of those. And, you know, PE and recess was the same thing back, back then. You had to um, just be active. And so I would have to leave my hearing aids. And one day I came back. And my hearing aids were gone. And they were not in the desk anymore. And, uh, you know, I was very nervous. You know, I, I wasn't able to hear for the rest of the day. Hmm. And my teacher called, you know, my mom and dad and, you know, the teachers asking who took the hearing aids. And somebody told on somebody and found out that my hearing aids were flushed down the toilet. Ah, one of them made it and one of them didn't. Uh, and then they finally did figure out which kid it was. Yeah. And of course they had to, their parents had to buy new ones. Right. Because uh, on hearing aids, you don't get insurance like that. Not right. back then. No. Uh, and they were, you know, a lot of money back then. They were like yeah. $2,000, you know, for for what you got back then. Now they're like $6,000. Yeah. There's a big difference now in the technology difference so 
that was really hard for me, you know, not to being going because I couldn't hear for several days now because yeah. they have to order these things and you know they not like they had a stockpile of hearing aids that fit people right and they were special molds because of so much power the sound would come out of your ear if they didn't seal very good so that was a, a tough time for me uh, growing up I say that to say that I didn't get to have a normal uh life growing up I didn't get to have all the benefits of being able to hear being able to you know see have all the other benefits except for hearing you know uh, and a lot of people would say you know I'm not qualified to do certain things because I don't have this skill set or this you know tool to work on this or whatever it is where I found that God is using the people that really aren't capable, but he's equipping them to do so. Um, I am now a board member in IRC, which is over Torch, it's over our ministry, R1T1, it's, it's over like five, six different ministries. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm on that board. I am I, a director at R1T1. I'm the one that created R1T1, along with um, some supporters that helped me you know, help get me on that path to, to getting it going. I have a beautiful wife. I have three beautiful boys. I shouldn't be able to have done all of these things because I'm not qualified. I have a hearing is- issue. And most people would stop there and give out and just say, I'm not qualified. I, I shouldn't be a missionary overseas. I shouldn't know Spanish. I'm deaf. Yeah. Like these are these are just so many things that how many people in the states or Americans or even in other countries would say there's no way I'm going to learn Spanish or learn Chinese because I can't hear what they're saying. Just and just quit immediately. Yeah. How many people do you know would just say it's not for me and quit? How many t- people do you know that God has called on and they said, no, that's too much? Where I was lucky to be, you know, in the position in my eyes nowadays is that I see it as a blessing because it's it's something that should have detoured me from doing what I'm doing now. If anything, I feel like it could have been a plan that Satan was working to try to deviate the plan uh, that that God had for me. Instead, God probably looked at Satan and said, you know what, I'm going to use that guy who's you say is it qualified because you messed him up this way. You, you probably knew that he was going to be a movement in another country. So you mess that up so you could mess up his Spanish. So you could mess up, you know, relationships because it's hard to have a good relationship with someone when you can't hear them. Yeah. Um, it's hard to maintain a relationship. It's easy to have a couple conversations, but to maintain a relationship, how I'm not supposed to be married to a beautiful wife who loves me for who I am. Most 
women would say, no, you know, you have a, an issue. I'm looking for the whole 10, you know, the, the whole 10, you need all your senses. Um, what's funny is I, I hear what you're saying and I get, I think if I were in your shoes, I would have thought similar things, mm -hmm. but as a person who met you last year, I have zero of those thoughts about you. Um, you know, I look at you and think, man, God put the right guy in here. Look at all these weird, like this guy can do plumbing. He can do IT work. He can communicate with the rich, the poor, with the Spanish, with the English. He could come to the States and talk us into how to support. And he could come to Honduras and talk the mayor into helping. And it's just, you know, it's funny how often our internal voice lies to us and belittles us. And I got to tell you the truth. There's a whole lot of times when I preach, I get up to the pulpit and I think, why in the world do they let you do this? You know, you don't know jack crap. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm going to stand up in front of a room with all these people in it and tell them about God. Yeah, some of these people have been alive three times longer than I have. Um, well, that's probably not true anymore. It used to be true. You know? <laughs> that, you know, there's, I, I think there's an insecurity we all feel. Um, it's funny though. I just don't, I don't see it. And I appreciate you sharing it so that Maybe somebody who's thinking about what call God has on their life realizes that just because there's a voice saying there's someone better, that doesn't mean that voice is telling the truth. So I have a different take on what faith looks like than yeah. I'm used to. Um, and I want everybody to hear this because I think it's important to see faith in this aspect. Um, so... Over the last couple of years, I have been pondering on faith and how faith works. Now, yes, of course, seeing without belie you know believing without seeing yeah. um, is is faith. But I think there's also a, a ginormous version of trust that mixes in with all of this, and it's obviously a combination of many things, yeah. a culmination of many things. I, when I realized that I think me losing my hearing was part of my faith because you asked me you know about my faith and and I want to I want to get back to that as far as why I think that um, changed my perspective on my faith and for me I was at a church I think in August or maybe October, somewhere in there, September, October. And uh, I was talking to them. I did a class and I was telling them about, uh, you know, a little bit of my backstory with my hearing aids, kind of like I'm telling you now. And I went to explain to them why it was important for God to see the plan done through me and not through somebody who has all the means and the the qualities, if you will. Because, you know, God will take the broken and, and do the task. He always does. You know, he always finds the weak to do the, the things that the strong can do, mm -hmm. you know, and, and in place of the strong. Yeah. He always takes everyone else, you know, that, that turns it down and finds the youngest, the the smallest, the weakest, or whatever it may be, to execute the task. Yeah. And so, in my case, I feel 
like I was chosen this position as a missionary, as an example to be for other people. Um, so that he can say to the rest of the world, whoever may be listening to this story and say, I chose a deaf person to learn Spanish, to go into another world, another world and, and teach and preach and love as simple as what you can do. You know, you can do it as well. And so for, cause first of all, if, if you ask pretty much anybody in, in these days, if you have a disability, we, we'd love for you to go. It, you, most, almost everybody are going to say, no, I have a disability. Obviously I can't do that. Um, you know, that's, that's like the number one thing. The reason that's the excuse. Uh, we can't do it because we're, there's a disability. Yeah. Um, but I think honestly, God can use that disability in his favor. Um, there's people in the Bible, you know, this, one of the disciples who had a thorn in their flesh, Paul had a thorn in his flesh Yeah, and Jesus could have taken it from him, but he said to him, do I really need to take it from you? If I take it from you, then it will be so easy for you. Mm. If you get to walk through the struggles and walk through it and still say that you fight for him, imagine how much more powerful this could be Yeah, that you could have said, no, God, I'd rather just have it healed. Right. I don't want to bear this thorn. Yeah. So getting back to my point, I used to say, I used to pray for him to heal my ears. I quit praying a long time ago about that because I realized that was selfish. It was I was being very selfish to yeah. try to get my hearing back. Now, my faith has changed because there's a different way to look at it. And the way I like to look at it now is if he had healed me because I wanted to be healed, I might be using it in my own way mm. to, to benefit me and not God or some, some other reason. But if my faith is so strong why do I need to ask for that? If I can use it for his glory. Yeah. Um, so if I had faith as small as a mustard seed, then I could have it healed. But there's this just, there's just something about this that, that's, that really stirs things up. And honestly, the hardest part is for most people is they want to see a sign yeah and they want to see like are they on the right track are they on or do they have a sign uh to help them but that's not faith that right that's believing because you saw right that's not faith and so it, if he healed me then i feel like i would have had to had faith because he healed me yeah it, it wasn't trust it was it was reliant on, and I didn't want to be dependent on if he healed me. And I didn't want, I would rather go to the table and say, yeah, I have these issues that, you know, you could have healed, but I'm glad you did it because I was able to use them mm -hmm. to achieve your, your goal. Yeah. 
Whereas um, a lot of times I think that I, I spoke to this church and I told them, I said, you know, if you're having to ask because it's to benefit you and if, because we don't know what God's ultimate plan is. Right. We just know that we got to do what, what he needs us to do when he calls us to do it. Uh, a lot of times we, just like this well, you know, like when we did this well, um, we, we didn't know. We, we had to dig on faith. We had to trust that this money was going to hit water. And, and we had no idea, you know. And when we hit 10 gallons a minute, you know, that's, that's when we realized, okay, it was because you wanted it at 10 gallons a minute at this depth. Um, maybe he wanted more churches to be involved. Maybe he wanted to go deeper because he didn't think there were enough people involved. You know, maybe he was trying to get the last penny out of certain people. Maybe he was trying to teach us not to be so scared if the next project starts at 40,000. It could be for you know, a dozen things, you know. It could be for light years ahead yeah. that we have no idea what this this plan was for. Just that reminder that God does stuff that we can't see and we don't know why. But just because we can't see doesn't mean he doesn't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. I, I'm real bad about... About if I can't see it, it's hard to believe. And I think that's a human thing. Yeah. You know, like, all right, I trust God's going to do this. Well, I can't see how he would do this, right. so I don't trust that he'll do it. And man, learning to spot that in our thinking, hey, hi, you're doing it again. You're making that same dumb mistake. Um, that's a good lesson. I I also had this understanding of, whereas if you need a miracle <laughs> in life, it's because your faith is less... Um, I think often he puts miracles in front of those who have little faith mm. to try to improve their faith. Yeah. But I think that if you haven't had to see a miracle, I think it's possible that he believes your faith is stronger. What's the scripture? Blessed are that you have believed because you've seen. Blessed are those who, who see without believing, right? Uh, yeah. You know, believe but have not seen. So my prayers over the last few years, honestly, after studying it, has been... I pray that my faith is strong, that I don't need to see a miracle. Yeah. Because if I had to see a miracle, it might mean that my faith is small. So if that isn't something to motivate you while you're struggling or while you're going through a hard time, you know, because you are just at your end of, at the end of the rope and you just need some big changes in life, uh, or some miracles to come your way. Don't get me wrong. Miracles are wonderful. They're cool. I hear about them. Yeah. You know, I hear about doctors. No idea how they saved the, the life of a person. Yeah. Uh, God came through. And I think those miracles are wonderful. Um, but in a personal stand, in a personal viewpoint, I, I don't personally want to see a, a burning bush experience for me to to strengthen my faith. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so that, that kind of in my, my take on faith a lot it's a, lately. It's a good perspective on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I'm, I'm, you know, like Moses and all these people in the Bible who got to experience these <laughs> non-natural things. Yeah. 
supernatural supernatural things. Uh, I'm glad I didn't have to be there because those people were a little smaller faith, you know. I remember when the Israelites, you know, God kind of showed up on the mountain, and the Israelites' response was, "Please, Lord, don't do that again. Go go talk to Moses, not to us. We can't handle this." You know, um, I know that's not quite the same thing you're saying, right? It, it makes me makes me think of that. Okay, so y- you have talked a lot about um, kind of childhood, what brought you to Honduras. Um, tell me what it's like being here, because I don't think I understand the challenges or the blessings, either one. I think I have a super superficial understanding of what you're doing. Um, so when we moved here, we had a three-year plan. Okay. And Did God laugh at it? What did God laugh at? Because it <laughs> yeah. seems like every time I I'm write, I'm pretty a play, sure he did. Um, I'm pretty sure he laughed at it. And was like, you can, you can. Uh, he, I'm sure he was like, hey, pat on the back. I really appreciate you. A for effort. Uh, a for effort. You're listening. Let's see how well you can listen while you're there. Yeah, uh, I think that's what it related into, uh, or at least I think we were at least in the same playing field but I don't think we were on the same base. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of us are not in the same park. Yeah. You know, so I, I think for the for the most part, I think me and, and, and God are in the same playing field. Yeah. Uh, especially those, uh, you know, five years ago. Yeah. I think that, you know, we should go into all the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we should go reach the lost. Jesus and, said it, so. Uh, I think we should disciple. Yeah. And... Over the last couple of years, discipleship has been really my focus uh, on young men. Okay, just spell that out because I want to make sure people people hear the difference. Between, what does it mean to be a disciple as opposed to be, I don't want to answer for you, but the Kyle Eidelman book, uh, Not a Fan, you know, are you a fan or are you a follower? You know, do you show up and cheer Jesus on or do you get in the game? You know, what does it mean to be a disciple? Why is that so important? Um, I think, I think I shared once earlier with you, but my take on when I read the scripture to make disciples, I mean, obviously it's very simple. Go and make disciples. Yeah. Go into all the world, make disciples. Um, I I think that that way is really heavy. Yeah. I don't think it's like, Hey, um, you should go do that. I think it's like training it's education, it's loving, it's friendship, it's relationships. I think that it's in depth instead of just, just go, Yeah, you know? Um, because if there are so many ministries that have hundreds of baptisms and hundreds of so-called disciples, uh, people who they convert, you know, in a day. Yeah. Um, you can hear the air quotes, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just like, and it's kind of like eye-opening. Like, so do you know their names? Like, how? what's your relationship with them? Who who stays in touch with them? Like, are they are they part of the family? Yeah. Like, or, or was this just like out of the blue? And, you know, you guys were walking through a city and you guys baptized, you know, maybe 100 people. I think that's amazing. Yeah. I think that's what we're supposed to do. But the discipleship is in line with that. Disciple means student. Yes. It means follower. It means a committed follower of Jesus. We don't just want to 
throw people in the water and say, ooh, we dunked them, God's happy now. The command of scripture was go make students. Yeah. How can you make students unless there's teachers? How can you have students unless there's a relationship? And yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to make disciples of Matthew. I want Matthew to help make disciples of Jesus. That's, that's language sometimes we've missed. You know, we have been interested in the moment of conversion. You were lost, but now you're found. And that's cool. And that's flashy. Yeah. But discipling is how do I take a person and bring their lifestyle into contact with the, the teachings of Jesus where they didn't just say yes once they say yes every day. That, that to me is kind of that. And so style. Yeah. It's a, it's a teaching of how you need to live your life, how you need to go about the rest of your life and how to walk, how to act, how to behave, how to live. Yeah. Uh, and so discipleship, what that looks like from five years ago is a little bit different than what it looks like from two, two years ago now. Okay. And now. Yeah. Um, so five years ago, I, you know, I, I had probably a similar take of what most Americans would think of what a normal discipleship program would look like. Um, you know, go and, and have a relationship with them, get to know them, baptize as many as you can, and, you know, maybe stay in touch with them. Uh, be there if they need you. Uh, but not not go out of your way is not something that's common. And and don't maybe maybe the, the take on discipleship might look like uh, what most people would think might look like. Uh, just maybe try to be there for them, mentor them yeah. when they need help. Um, but I don't think it's always just about when they need help. Yeah. I think it's about growing with them. Well, you know, the difference between when you need help, in my view, the most dangerous time for people spiritually is not usually when they need help because that's when they know to look up. When you're at rock bottom, you know to look up. Mm. The most dangerous time for people spiritually is usually times of success. So if I want you to be a disciple of Jesus, I don't just need you to call me when things are hard. We need to talk when things are good or even more. Yeah. Yeah. So I started R1T1, which okay. means Reach One, Teach One. Okay. It's a training school for young men. And we have a bunch of small businesses, if you will. We have an aquaponics uh, farm, basically, you know, tilapia, create, uh, they, they basically take their, the water that they live in and they use it to fertilize plants in a circulating system uh, and the water comes back to the fish and it grows plants and all that so that's called aquaponics similar to hydroponics without fish aquaponics with fish oh, okay um and so that's that's called aquaponics because we do have tilapia we use that as fertilizer for our lettuce that we grow so it causes you to grow a ton of lettuce really fast and yep. it causes you to raise tilapia really fast. In this at the same time so you're getting uh, meat and soup and veggies yeah yeah well yeah. Um, and so we're going to be, that's one, one part of our training school. So our businesses are, our model is a trade school. And so we're training young kids who have never had the opportunity to work in any kind of businesses that we have at our, our one one school. So essentially I have five or six students. Uh, right now I have six students last year, uh, and the year prior I had five students. Um, so I am discipling five students or six students at a time and educating them to be a young man 
and how to be a good father as they, you know, when they get older, things to look out for before the concrete sets in their life. So I'm trying to disciple them. Uh, so they're young. They're anywhere between 16 to 25, 26. So really before, anytime before they get, they get married, uh, before they get a wife or kids, is ideal because once you're married or have kids it's hopeless for you it's <laughs> it's just the concrete has to set yeah man it sets up and it sets up hard i can't tell you yet. even for missionaries you have dozens of missionaries or people come on mission trips saying i want to do this i will be here and then you hear the words the famous words but i'm getting married or i'm having a kid or I just bought a house and then it's it that but turns into all about the things that they're setting their roots in the thing that they really want i do not like big butts <laughs> and i cannot lie <laughs> you can't lie <laughs> but you know uh, that reminds me even of what jesus said when the guy comes to him and says yeah i'll follow you but i gotta go i gotta go look at a piece of property oh i'll follow you but my dad's sick you know um yeah jesus said Take up the cross daily, follow me. I know. And and so just from a missionary standpoint, like so many people want to be missionaries, but then they don't. Yeah. Because then you can really see where they want where they want to be. Now they may have the intention, and that's great, but intention doesn't count. Yeah. You know, it doesn't isn't worthless. Yeah. Uh without action, there's intention means nothing. Mm-hmm. Um so good intentions are not enough. I, I've heard about a road they pave. A what? A road they pave. Who? Intentions. Good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Oh, you know, I heard, yes. Yeah. Did I make that up? You've heard that, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't know what that. I just made that up. So uh, I didn't know what the... Yeah. The road to hell is paved with good intentions is the... That's, the, that's a good sermon title. Saying, yeah. It's a good sermon title. A little but, depressing, but it's true. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have so much Satan is, is working on everyone to have good intentions yeah. but then fail. Like, man, go on a mission trip to Honduras. You guys deserve some time with God. Like, no worries. I'll get you right back when you get home. I'll be back in 10 days. You'll be back in 10 days. Have a great, you know, non Facebook time yeah. or, you know, a, a non YouTube week. We can let that go. I'll work on some other people while you're gone. I'll mess up some of your other contacts. You know, just think about all the things that Satan's working while God's trying to fix something. Yeah. You know? And so a lot of people want to do great, want to be missionaries, want to go overseas. I wanted to do that too. But, you know, I had kept that inside. I didn't tell anybody, you know? I didn't want anyone to know I was going to fail if I didn't fall through or if I didn't pull through. So I made the decision with my wife to move every to move everything here. Yeah. Sell everything. I have no belongings in the States. I have a of cardboard box in my dad's storage unit of high school trophies. Huh. That's it. And maybe some ornaments that were handy me hand me downs from yeah. my grandparents that I just, you know, would feel wrong if I threw away. Right. You know. So they're in a storage somewhere in my dad's house. But that's literally all I own in the States. There's nothing else to my name. So I have literally left everything yeah. to be here, to do this, uh, and give him all the glory. 
I don't own my Hilux truck out there that belongs to IRC. Yeah. I guess I could have had it put in my name, but it wasn't my money. Yeah. I said, put it in the nonprofit's name. Yeah. Does it make sense? It's not mine. Yeah. And I think the less things I have, the the better I feel. Mm. Um, the closer I feel to God. Because I feel like I'm not having to cling to something that's earthly. Well, one of the hard questions that, you know, we asked in some of our debriefs after our torch trip last June, uh, I asked a few of our kids, who looks happier, the average American 12-year-old or the average 112-year-old? And every single person said the 112-year-old. And I said, but they don't have any of the things you think you'd need to be happy. What's the difference? They don't have a video game. They don't have cell phone. They don't have, you know, PlayStation. They don't have food and water. Clothes, shoes. And then you kind of think maybe Jesus actually meant that stuff that he said about consider the lilies of the field, consider the birds of the air. You know, uh, the Gentiles worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink. Don't you, don't you trust me? We've come back to faith again, haven't we? Yeah. You know, it all comes back to faith, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Mm. Man. So I, I that'll preach. That'll preach. Yeah, it will. It always does. (laughs) It always comes back up. Um, I honestly thought that when I moved here, I would be more stressed because they say first-time missionaries are very stressed people. Yeah, the numbers are insane. The numbers on the scales, apparently, if you look online, they're eight times more than the most person with stress. Yeah. Like you can Google it. I'm sure you can find some crazy numbers on stress levels of a missionary. Yeah. I would say the first year, maybe it felt like that. But then after that, you know, working on my faith had really brought that down. And I don't stress about those kinds of things anymore. It did amaze me to watch you these last few days, how you just, you know, when I'm in my ministry back home, like I sit down and I start trying to work on something and then the phone rings and I've got to deal with it. And then before I finish dealing with the thing the person called me for, somebody walks in and I've got, and you get frustrated because you don't get to do what you want to do sometimes. But these past few days, uh, your interruptions have had interruptions on top of your interruptions, on top of your interruptions. And you never once showed a hint of being flustered or irritated. You just, you just roll, rolled with it. Yeah, I think that's one of the coolest uh, things to have in a Christian is is to not get frustrated. If you if you could be a Christian that doesn't get frustrated, don't get me wrong, there is frustration always in and, life. And I'm not trying to make you a saint here, but yeah, no. I, if I, I say I, much I more nice, they're going to say this is your funeral. But just maybe not about the things that that maybe you can control like yeah like or you can't control like i shouldn't get frustrated about the things that i can't control yeah you know um like you you saw one of my videos and the other day it said something like if you could get uh i said something how many things you could get done in uh, yeah 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 uh and you start out your list with so many things on the list yeah so like if you okay i'll tell you i'll tell you um let's say you had five six things that you wanted to get done in the States, you could get them all done yeah, easily every day. If you have five or six things you want to get done every day, nine out of 10 of those days, you could get every single one of those picked off your list. Yeah. In Honduras, 
specifically Honduras. I can't speak for other countries, but in Honduras, if you want to get five or six things done in one day, yeah, it is 99% of the time not going to get done. Yeah. Not all six. It works like this. <clears throat> if you get one or two things done, you did good. Yeah. If you get two or three things done, somewhere in between, because usually you can start on some other things, yeah. like maybe make a phone call or whatever, but two or three things done, if you get those, if you get two or three, then you're doing really good. If you get four, you did excellent. Yeah. Now, obviously, if you get five or six and you, you got them all, it was because God let you finish it. <laughs> yeah. And God wanted it to happen. And that was the only reason in that God put everything in place because he was on your side that day. Well, we started today. <laughs> when we got in the truck, you said, we're going to go um, install some water filters. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to go check the pressure a couple of places. <laughs> um, we didn't touch a water filter. We today. didn't touch a water. So no, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But what we did was so stinking cool. Yeah. Uh, we delivered water to people who have never had it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, met a ton of families. Uh, fixed some leaks. Measured pressures. Ate some chicken. You know, yeah. uh, we ate some chicken, right? <laughs> Fried chicken in under is amazing. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Death yeah. of the chicken. Y'all are going to y'all are gonna be coming back next year, you know, or this year. <laughs> That's right. You're going to be saying, I want some of that Boyolandia. Yeah, you know, the, the torch groups don't go there, though. No. So, like, you're going to do a head count one day, and I'm going to be missing, and you're going to find me in. I go, hold on, I'm trying to get some fried chicken. I'm still not sure how to order there, but, um, well, I have to tell that story with them. You're just going to be pointing at, like, whatever's on the menu, and there are pictures up there, luckily for you. Well, I'm going to get in trouble because I'll be yelling, I want breast, I want breast. Down one, not the little leg, I want the breast. Right there. The big one. I don't know. Well, Dalton, what else? Uh, this is yours. Is yeah. there a story you want to tell us we haven't gotten to? Um, honestly, I think I love living here. You know, there's so many benefits. Here's the thing. There are more benefits than cons. Hmm. There are more pros than cons. And I think in America, there's a different level of pros and cons. Yeah. It's different. Uh, the culture is different. The people are different. Uh, I think we as Americans need to be more like Hondurans in our mindset with love, with joy, and with happiness. Yeah. We Americans are so ungrateful. Most all of us are so ungrateful. We will complain about anything that gets in our way. Yeah. Anything, if it's not clean enough, if it's not fast enough, if it's not the right thing or the right this and that, you know. We make up things to be angry about. Exactly. We argue about things that don't need to be argued about. Yeah. In Honduras, we have one milk for everybody, (laughs) you know. Nobody complains. Not a single person complains about it. You know, you you got 16 milks. In Starbucks. Yeah. And you got people, you know, talking to the manager about not having one milk. For breakfast this morning, I had cereal with milk out of a box that came from your pantry. I had never experienced that before. And it was totally fine. It was fine. It's perfect. But notice you're in this culture 
and I think it's almost like you have to respect the culture and you're not allowed to complain. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we have so many options in the States. We can complain yeah. because we have so much. Well, they're out of tide free and clear. And I really didn't want the store brand, but you know, I just <laughs> I know. dumb stuff. I know. And we have, you know, uh, we have that, but, but it's also like a hundred dollars. Yeah. You know, I think I'm just going to go with the, the $5 brand. Thank you very much. Yes. You know, uh, Nice knowing you, you know? <laughs> and so, well, even the act of turning on water spigots today, like when we were at a couple of houses that were in weird spots geographically and the tank was nearly out of water for the test. Yes. Um, there were a couple of people that were just getting a dribble. And in my head, I was kind of bracing myself because I imagined that if I were in the States and these people didn't get the water, that we were about to get torn a new one. How dare you? <laughs> you screwed up. You know, I can't, well, why do you, well, how come they got it and I didn't get it? How come they're getting this pressure and I'm not getting this, you know? Yeah. And then you're telling me that, you know, the, the neighborhoods down here, they'll, they'll just kind of take care of it. Oh, no, no. Hey, you can't, I got to use the water right now. No, you can use it. Yeah. That's mind boggling to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, they'll, they'll have a guy that goes around in our well project we're speaking about. Uh, we laid a foundation. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we laid a foundation piping throughout the whole community, roughly two to three miles of pipe and all different sizes yeah. um, for distribution from the big tank at the top of the hill. And we obviously sized it from biggest to smallest, you know, uh, but there are some roads that were just so long, it just wasn't cost effective to bring them a huge size pipe. Right. So their pressure is, uh, their, their flow rate is is the word i guess you could say pressure flow rate they get a hundred pounds per square inch yeah a hundred psi so if you try to put the cap on it the thing will just blow right off yeah uh but they don't get the same flow rate it's not dumping buckets yeah i mean we're talking like what four gallons a minute yeah or something like that and but in other places it was 20 gallons a minute yeah so it's really hard to you know know where all the how the water is going to work until after you install some of it, uh, especially with the hills and the ups and downs and, you know, all that. Um, but like you were saying, you know, like if, if we were in America and some people were getting this level, we wouldn't be having it. Yeah. And it, we would get our way, you know, uh, because we're privileged, we're entitled. We're small brats. Exactly. I mean, and so I think a lot of us, uh, could could learn something from people here. Yeah, they are, you know, washing their clothes out of buckets on rocks. So we, you know, I think should learn something from that. Yeah, and just be grateful for what we have in the states. You know, we just stop to... complaining. Stop being that type of Christian that that is the complaining type. It is you amazing know? to me how many people are our type, and I'm probably going to get in trouble if any of these people ever listen. But the sort of people who come to church once a month. And when I see them at church, they are always the first one to tell me the thermostat's too hot or too cold, or we didn't pray for their prayer request, or, and you just sort of want to shake them. You yeah. Know? I want to shake half the uh, people that come on mission trips here. Yeah. Because they come with that attitude here, and I have to remind them that we're in a third world country. Yeah. You know, and you need to get your head screwed on right. Because it's not, if we're not in uh, America, no, you know, so you can just forget about all those 
benefits, mm-hmm. you know, that you have there and just for once try to live like a normal person. Yeah. Like most of the world. Yeah. Like 90% of the world. Okay. So give me, give me the, the torch commercial, the, 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 the Dalton Hines commercial, you know, um, who do you want to come down here? What do you want them to, what do you hope to accomplish with a week in the summer? Who should come? Why should they come? Oh, you mean just like uh, to get things done? Yeah. So I will say I really appreciate groups that come down here to make my life easier. Mm. And there is one in particular that I'm thinking about. Yeah. Um, Especially when it is anything to do with that that can make my life easier specifically to make less complaining happening happening yeah so not complaining on my end complaining on americans yeah so last year or no not last year this year was good 2023 was good the year prior to that 2022 yeah so we have we're very fortunate. We had hot water heaters, you know, some uh, gas hot water heaters that were installed on the buildings uh, that I was able to install. And but after a couple groups come through, you know, because the water's a little finicky. You know, yeah. sometimes you have to activate the hot water by turning hot water on all the way first, get the water coming in, and then it takes a second to get warm. Kind of like in the states, you gotta wait till it gets right, and then you get in. Well. If you add cold water too fast, sometimes the hot water shuts off. Yeah. And so immediately they would get out, dress themselves, come find me and say, hey, Dalton, my hot water isn't working. Oh, okay. Um, Did you finish your shower? No, I hadn't gotten in yet. Oh, okay. Well, let me stop what I'm doing and let me, you know, stop meeting some people that I've never met and I'll come deal with your shower. That will happen maybe 20 times throughout a summer, like two or three times per group, Yeah, which is common. It's not, it's not that I don't want to help them, but there's just things that don't always fall in place. It is funny too, because as soon as we got here, that was literally one of the first instructions that y'all gave us. Yeah. Here's how to make the showers work. Yeah. We teach you how to use the showers. Uh, every now and then the batteries go down or the gas runs out. So to have a solution for that, you know, I came up with the idea of maybe having a ginormous gas tank for the whole property and I don't ever have to worry about swapping any tanks. Yeah. Some people heard me and some people really wanted to help. Yeah. Brought a team down for a week and did the whole, the whole gas network. And then you can see on the backside. On the backside, there's a ginormous pipe running across, you know, like gas pipe. Yeah. And it's connected to every single single hot water heater. And so all I got to do now is make a phone call. Yeah. And put gas in the the tank. And I don't have to worry about batteries. Just change them all out before the summer. And I know they're good for the rest of the year. So things like that are ideal. Where people see, okay, how can we help Dalton? You know, I know it's not about me, but when you're here, you need me in order to to have your needs met. When I come here, I can't do anything good unless you've helped me do it. 
Yeah. I mean, you, we were here to, you guys were up there saying, how do I do this? How do I do that? You know, I wanted you to do it. And, but obviously I guess I have a a vision of things in how I want it done. Mm -hmm. And I guess I know we're just trying, you know, trying to do our best and see, you know, make sure everything's done right. Yeah. Um, But oftentimes it's pretty common sense, you know, like it's, you know, just do it, you know, figure it out. Yeah. And so a lot of things, like I obviously didn't have the plan to um, go and put money towards a project when other people did yeah, and wanted to help with like this cafeteria. So had a team of guys from Benville, Arkansas that gathered up 10, 12 men and came down for one week. How cool. And did, and just asked me, what's wrong on this property? What have you been not, not able to do? What would you like to see fixed? What would you like to see done? What's slowing you down? And they came down here for one week. And I said, well, that gutter needs to be done. You know, that saved me from having to pay somebody to fix it. Yeah. Uh, this whole place needs to be tiled. You know, we're, we've been on this concrete field right here, or this area for a while. It needs to be concreted in. We need a bathroom over here. There's one bathroom for the cafeteria is not enough. So they put six in so there's three girls and three guys so all that's been super beneficial uh for the improvements of aquaviva which is our our compound where we host teams and so those those are things that show love because it wasn't about i love what the guys told me when when they told me when they came they said you know we want to help the the people that help the people and so when they found me and they said, you know, we want to help you do what it is that you do so that they can come and do what they need to do. So for them, that looked like bettering the property, you know, here. And it turned in, you know, they, they made it a missions trip yeah. to do that. And so that was really cool. I think if I could, they were, they were going to come this year, but they decided that um, the timing it was short notice. They tried to pull one together. They wanted to have more. So they're going to send funds instead mm. uh, to do similar things that I need done. And people don't understand how important that is. It is. It is. Uh, so without our nonprofit here, really, it's very difficult to get things done. Yeah. Um, we had a camp of 95 people of... 95 people who came to this property, we maxed it out. Yeah. Literally maxed it out. Uh, but we wouldn't have been able to do that if it, uh, if that team hadn't come, you know, that year. Um, <coughs> so we have so many cool people that come down every year. Yeah. And I really appreciate you guys coming because now you guys just get to have a little taste of just being here in the in their normal setting instead of just go, go, go mission teams, you know, yeah. uh, we get to have a little more personal one-on-one time. Yeah. You get to know a little bit more about me. I get to learn more about you guys. Uh, it's just been a blessing to, to be with y'all. I, I was so excited about this trip, but the reality of what it has been has been so much beyond what I thought this trip could possibly be. Really? It has been such a neat experience just to, to see you and your family at work, to see 
what it's like here when you're not on a bus with 80 Americans, you know, just to, to see how this well project works, to see the reality of what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, what's easy, what's hard, what's cheap, what's expensive, you know, just, just to see. And I, I wish, um, I really do truly wish that I could get everybody in the church at some point to have an experience like this. A mission trip experience? A mission trip experience, just to learn to get your head out of your rear and see a different perspective. I don't think that overseas mission work is for every single person, right? I, I mean, I get there's legitimate reasons for people to do it, to not do it. I know there's health stuff. I know there's there's commitments. I, I understand those things. Not all of those things are excuses. Uh, but there is a place for each one of us, I think, um, to do our part of discipling. And part of part of what that is sometimes is sending, you know, Sometimes I can't go, so it's my turn to send. Um, I don't know. You, your operation here is just fantastic, and I have just truly enjoyed getting to spend extra time with you and your family. So thank you for that. Yeah, I appreciate, appreciate that. Um, we, we certainly love having teams down here because if it weren't for mission trips, yeah, it's very difficult to create missionaries. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad used to be part of a program, I guess, that was um, trying to unite uh, contacts, missionary-like people yeah. in, in this country um, to try to come up with a good plan of communication. Uh, so like if you had a passport issue or something, you could fix it with this person because we're in a, a special circle, if you will. Like... Uh, you know, missionary circle. And there was a meeting, you know, a whole bunch of people came and it didn't turn out to be the best type because everybody had their own opinion on the matter. And so one of the guys, and I'll never forget, my dad told me this. He said, one of the guys said, you know, we need to stop bringing mission teams down here. They're wasting so much money flying here. And then, you know, they do hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of money over a, a 10 day period and then they leave. Imagine what you could do with $100,000 in 10 days. And so my dad said, uh, so you're saying we shouldn't bring mission trips down. We should just ask for their money and put it in the mission field. And that's where he was like, yeah, that's what I mean. And my dad says, um, how many of you I've been on a mission trip. 99 of them put their hands up in the air. Yeah. Because they've been on a mission trip. So would you be here if you weren't on a mission trip? And they all said, nope. So everybody looked right at the guy and says, I guess that answers that. <laughs> it's nice when it works like that. Yeah. Because it's because of mission trip. Yeah. So... If, if the trips weren't available, people won't be here. They won't know that there's an opportunity to, to serve in this country. And I get the legitimacy of it would be nice to have the money in some different ways. Like, I, I think there are some, at, some concerns. At, time, at times. Yeah. But yeah. there is something about going and seeing that changes things. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be in ministry were, for not, were it not for mission trips. I mean, the bug of ministry was planted in me in domestic mission work um, and domestic led to international and you know the whole shebang uh, Thor Burns has stuck with me now because of a mission trip a long time it's part of my 
my God story. Um, you know, the youth minister took me on a, a campaign before I was before I was baptized, before I was a disciple. And I remember thinking, should I be allowed to do this? Like, it's kind of fake, right? Like I'm representing a thing I haven't bought all the way into yet. But that experience cemented for me, this is the side of the universe I want to be on. You know, I, I want to be on this Jesus team. Like, yeah, these are the people, this is the stuff. He is the one that's condensing a lot of story down into three sentences, but there's just some real value. Yeah. yeah. There's just, for me, there's more impact. I can, I feel like I can do a lot more for Christ. I feel like I can talk to more people. I feel like I can teach more people and not, um, have to hear everyone's opinion on the matter. Yeah. Uh, there's so many more things for me um, that I, I feel like I can be a part of and just serve. It's it's not that it's easier to serve. I mean, I think that it is easier to serve in Honduras because of the poverty. Yeah, you know, and and you know, just maybe the the vast beautifulness of Honduras, and you just get these amazing sunsets. We have you know beautiful hammocks that you can just sit in. And just, you know, like pray right there. You know, you, I know you guys were hanging out at a hammock for like 30 minutes one of these days, maybe longer. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't feeling good earlier in the week. And I just had to take a, a little nap because, you know, I was, had a fever. But uh, I know that it's just calming. You know, you just feel like your body can just be itself, mm -hmm. you know, be one with the Lord. And you're not having to be so consumed by whatever is going on, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. It's hard to give people that experience in the States. I can't peel them away from their phones long enough mm -hmm. or their jobs. You know, when we do, when we do church camp at our church, we do Burns family camp. When we go an hour away, there are four campsites within 20 minutes of our church building, but I can't take people to those campsites because they're too close because they'll come and go, come and go, come and go, uh, come and go. But if I take you an hour away, you actually go and experience. Yeah. Um, you need these experiences. Anything else you want to share with the, both of our listeners? No, just uh, I hope that you guys can come on a missions trip. Yeah. Uh, come, come on other times of the year. You know, I think that it's really cool to have a uh, couple people come, you know, every couple weeks. You know, I think it's really cool to just... Uh, get a get a feel for it mm -hmm. you know and to see i was telling you about having a uh just just having people coming down is really nice you know just a, a change of pace for once yeah instead of just having to go 100 percent in the summer because when we're here in the summer you know it's it's a little crazy uh for me you are working 24 7 yeah, i i don't sleep yeah like you know, my sleep is probably from midnight to, to four. Yeah. And, and then I'm, you know, ordering wood, I'm coordinating the wood, I'm, you know, houses and food bags and making sure everybody's happy in every situation, making sure there's food on the property and water going everywhere. Yeah. Um, making sure there's gas, <laughs> yeah. which that's been helpful this year. But I think that it's important to see this side, mm -hmm. the, the non-crazy side of mission work. Yeah. Um, uh, and also the the rewarding side of it, because most people don't know, but when you guys come on a mission trip, 
you want to see the reward instantly. Right. Because you're, you're wondering, like, have you made the impact? But in reality, I get to see the reward that y'all did yeah. after. And I think that God allows me to see that sometimes the rewards come with a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. For example, you guys may have built a house two years ago and they may not be part of, part of the church and they may still not be. But next year, they might start showing up. Yeah. And this has happened multiple times where those families show up out of the blue and then just become permanent members. And so it's not, it's not about trying to get them in the church right now. Yeah. It's about the seed and God will put them in when they're ready. Absolutely. We don't have to rush God's timing. He knows no, what he's doing. No. And so I think that that is important for uh, you guys maybe to see that it's important to wait, be patient with the people that you guys encounter. And you know, it's okay to keep in touch you know, with me and say, hey, any updates? You know, yeah. like uh, we were praying and we just, we hope that everything's going according to plan, you know, or God's plan, whatever that is, updates or whatever. So I love when you guys come. I love the mission trips and it's a great, uh, I guess you call it a burn. Like yeah. you just kind of burn all your energy through the whole summer. I bet in August you just collapse. Oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I take like, like I, I just me and my family try to just sleep for two days straight. Yeah. Like just don't even leave the house. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One more question. Yeah, I've said yeah. one more like 18 times now, but um, you've got a really cool YouTube channel, some social stuff. Tell people how to find you and what you're doing. Yeah. It's new. It's very new. So we don't have a lot of followers yet, um, but we imagine it is going to get thousands and thousands and maybe even millions. Yeah. Uh, because, I do have a YouTube channel and it was designed to give people an experience of what it could be like to be a missionary. And it is called missionary experience. Uh, so, and you may have to search pretty hard for it or go on one of our U- our Facebook pages and find us through those links. I'll put a link in the show notes too. Yeah, so everybody can that would be great. Um, if you do that, it'll help people get there quicker. Yeah. Uh, but essentially... I made this video because I don't want people to feel like the missionary life has to be the suffering type missionary. Yeah. Now I know that, um, I, I personally don't think that God wants people to suffer. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe during tests and things like that. Uh, but I don't think that he wants to see his children suffer. Yeah. So, um, I don't want people to think that okay, in order to be a missionary, I have to be suffering. Yeah. So I don't feel like I'm suffering. I'm a missionary. Yeah. I do not ever feel like I'm suffering. Uh, he is always taking care of me, always taking care of the need, whatever it may be. Uh, we've never been stuck, you know, we've never been on the side of the road, uh, thankfully, mm. yet, you know. So we'll, we'll ch- pray that it keeps, you know, he gets it that way. Don't jinx us for the ride to the airport tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> you know? no. I might find some wood and knock on it. Yeah. And so um, I think that this experience, this YouTube channel that I'm creating, we've only got like maybe five or six videos up right now, uh, but they're, you know, five or 10 minutes long to give you kind of a, just a day-to-day, mm-hmm. uh, just one day out of the week, every week or so. And, and then we're going to maybe post this video as well um, of this week when you were here. 
How cool. uh, of the well project. So uh, it'll just be up there with, with our channel and you guys can share it with people as well. I mean, I, I just love it because I think people sometimes think that a missionary is like wearing a short sleeve, white button up dress shirt and a black tie knocking on a door 24 seven or hitting people with Bibles. But in your YouTube channel, um, yeah, you're talking with people and you talk, you talk God stuff, but you're in the hardware store and you're in the grocery store yeah. and you're explaining about what you have to do. That stuff is the cost of admission to have a conversation about Jesus. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think that it's important to let people know that it's not all just about banging the word on people. Yeah. And because obviously it's, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. You know, it's a lifestyle that, you know, I don't, uh, it's not a homework. It shouldn't feel like a homework. Yeah. You know, like it's discipling should be a joy, mm. should want to be around people, should want to be, you know, loving people around you. So for me, it's just been like, we got to share this a different way. Yeah. Uh, maybe, though that's how I've been doing it, you know, sharing it in a loving format, because I could tell you right now, there's a couple workers that I've been working with for five years or so. Yeah. And a youth minister five years ago used to be here and knows the kids that I, that I work with. Yeah. Uh, they're just really good masonry people. They're really good at stuccoing. They're really good. I, I basically hired some people to teach them how to stucco. Yeah. And then I said, you're going to learn everything, you know, about this, you know, watch him and learn everything you can from this professional. Yeah. And then I'm just going to not hire him for the jobs. I'm going to hire you. I'm going to hire you. Yeah. And then you guys will basically have a job anytime I have work. Yeah. And they were like, okay. So they've been now with me five years. How cool. And uh, just me being around them for five years, I don't, I can't think, but maybe a handful of times we may have talked about actual scripture, reading yeah. it. But they do know about God. They do know about love. They do know about morals, good morals, loyalty, and, you know, just friendship. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, I'm, I, I like to try to use this as an example. Just when you're around the right people, you become better. Yeah. Uh, I think that's true for anything. Absolutely. You, who you hang with or people who you turn into. Mm -hmm. uh, so they know I'm a, you know, a Christian person that I would never do anything that's, you know, unjust. Yeah. And so they adapted over five years. They were not the best kids at yeah. first. They, you know, in fact, the youth minister over here came just last week. Yeah. I gave him a laptop you know, for his graduation um, gift. Me and Gail Davison waited on it. Uh, I got it here. She paid for it. Uh, I just paid for the shipping and all that. So we, we gave it to him, you know, as a gift. Uh, we couldn't really raise any money for it. I guess nobody knew that this kid was, so there wasn't donations made or anything. And, and that kind of stuff is a little depressing when you're trying to raise money for a $150 laptop and you can't get any money. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's really pathetic. Yeah. Like, like it's 150 bucks, Yeah, you know? Um, and you know, what's even more pathetic when a Honduran person puts $5 mm -hmm. towards the donation and then only $10 were received from the States. Oh, wow. From any, everybody 
And it was posted on Facebook, yeah. it was posted everywhere. And we couldn't raise any money for mm-hmm. it. Isn't that amazing? But the fact is that the news just didn't make it to all the ears. Yeah. So, and I mean, obviously, I'm sure we could have pushed it more, but it was 150 bucks. Yeah, you hate, you can't push something so little too hard. Right. I mean, it, it, so we just decided, let's just not post it and take care of it ourselves. Yeah. Us missionaries do that all the time. Yeah. Because it's just, when we, we have to ask for other people, when we have to also ask for ourselves, you know, um, it, it's hard, you know, because then a lot of people might be thinking, you you're asking for a lot, you know, we support you and now you want to help more people. What's the purpose of, what do you think we are, made out of money? You know? <laughs> so we just, just did it ourselves. Yeah. You know, it was just, and so that kid, that youth minister, walked around the property. He hadn't been around here in a while. So he came and he started talking to those workers who he knew as punk kids. Yeah. And those workers that I've been around, have been around me, um, have changed a lot. And he came to me and said, Dalton, what, I don't know what you've done with these, (laughs) with these kids, but they're good kids. Like they're not who they were, you know? And, like, they're good kids. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I used to know them as punk kids. And, like, they were, they have problems. Yeah. And now, you know, since they've been around you for five years, they're great kids. Yeah. And I think that he could see that over the last five years, that it's it's not like a, you know, a Bible study thing that's going to just change this all in one one swoop. Yeah. It's a relationship. Uh discipleship feeling Mm -hmm. that changes people. So I think that when you were asking me about discipleship, you know, earlier, that I think it has a lot to do with relationships, time, and just staying in touch all the time and mentoring them through the whole process, not just, and also calling out of the blue yeah, and being like, hey, I just thought about you, you know, let's talk, let's catch up, tell me everything, we should have done this sooner. You know, uh, you guys, you know what I used to do? Some really cool advice. Go through your phone, call every single person. Yep. Every single person. Hang on. I got to delete a lot of contacts first. (laughs) (laughs) Try it. Pick one free day. Start at the top. Call whoever's on your list and just say, hey, uh, just thought about you. Because I was scrolling through my phone and we hadn't talked in six years. I just pulled it up. My first one's AAA insurance. Do I call them? Okay, don't call that one. Okay, just, just <laughs> wanted to check. You know what? If you want to call them, do you say, God bless you. Have a good day. I don't have a flat tire or anything. I just want you to have a good day. But anybody that you could potentially disciple, yeah, you know, and be a part of your life again, they will value you so much more than you realize. Yeah. If you make the phone call, and it's so it's so simple. Like, I like to do that every once in a while. Yeah. And I've got seven, eight hundred contacts in my phone, and obviously I can't get to them all in one day. Right. But it doesn't hurt to to set a, a schedule out. Hey, I'll work on the A's and B's today. Yeah, A's and B's. You know, and you can you can set up a plan in your in your schedule and say, you know what, if they don't answer, 
I'll call that, you know, tomorrow. Yeah. You know, maybe, or just shoot them a text instead yeah. if they don't answer and just start going down the list. Man. And then it's, it's just, you don't understand the seed that that plants. You know, I, I haven't seen you in a year and a half, or it's been since high school, since we've talked, mm. or I've known you since we were kids. Would it be, would it be possible to have a coffee, you know, and just catch up and see how you're doing, get connected. So many cool things that, that we could be doing in the States that we aren't doing. Yeah. So discipleship can That's go good stuff. so far. Yeah. And it's not rocket surgery. No, it's not. It's rocket science. No, rocket surgery. Rocket surgery. <laughs> Brain science and rocket surgery, man. Yeah, I've always used rocket science. Yeah, that's the right way to do it. I do it backwards. Yeah. It's like horse grenades and hand shoes. You got to be weird. Well, man, this has been super fun. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing your perspective. Thank you for inviting us literally into your home um, and giving us an opportunity to just to be with you and see some of the see some of the cool. You gave us a front row ticket to some of, some of God's best work, and that's that's really cool. None of this happens without all the support that we get. Mm -hmm. So I have to thank all my supporters. Yeah. Because none of this, none of this happens. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, you know, you guys for coming, inter this interview uh, or this podcast and just all the people that help towards Torch, IRC and supporters and just donations. Like okay. one more thing. <laughs> Go for it. What's the thing that you're dreaming of that you want to do right now that $10,000 make a big difference for? How much? 10,000. I just picked up a number. 10,000. 5,000. 300. 10 million. I don't know. What, what's the thing that you're okay, dreaming so about that you Obviously, I have an R1-T1 school. Yep. I'm trying to make it self-sustainable. Okay. So that I can create, so that I can create a school that can be self-sustainable. So the school trains young men with all these jobs yeah. there's these small businesses inside while I disciple them in the process so we yeah. get to have this relationship together my goal is to finish R1T1 okay. meeting purchase the property there that is on because we rent it and it's a storefront it's a road front sorry and it's it has a couple phases that, that need to be done right now we finished phase one there's phase two and phase three. Phase two uh, is basically finishing out all the builds, the projects that are on on the property. And then phase three is to purchase the property. Wow. And then once those three phases are done, the school should be creating self-sustainability, which means the things that are growing in there or the things that are being built can be sold for a profit and yeah. the school will be self-sustainable. And the self-sustainability is crucial because most churches love the idea of getting out of a ministry if it means for a few years yeah. and they can look forward to something new. Uh, I don't, I think personally, nobody likes a 30-year contract. Yeah, it's like a mortgage payment. Yeah, honestly, or a bill, yeah. if you will. And I think a lot of us, missionaries feel like a bill yeah. to churches. Um, and I personally hate that. If it helps any, I feel that way as the paid preacher. And I know, uh, I, I feel sorry for you, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> because, when, when you look at the budget and realize that you're like a chunk of it, it's like, uh, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, a big chunk usually, and and the worst chunk is the building chunk. It's always the building. Yeah, it's always the building chunk. That's like, did we really need to spend two million dollars on the building? You know, like it was just not necessary. Now we got to pay this every month. Man, it's tough. Yeah, and those are the worst decisions churches can make. Yeah. Like it's just dumb. Yeah, but I get it. There's big churches. The eldership make those decisions, yeah. and we have to respect that. Yeah. Um, for the most part, or go to another church. Yeah, you know, and there's reasons. There's different types of ministry, there's, different places, and, and who knows? And if they if they have those kind of needs yeah. and they need them, that's on them. Yeah, you know. And I'm, I'm not. I I can only speak for myself here. Yeah. And what I'll say is, uh, if we get this school paid off to where we can purchase this property, the, and all the teachers will be there all the time teaching these trades we would like to take profits from that school and duplicate the school somewhere else so it can replicate so it can replicate staining maybe get four or five in honduras going and then maybe start branching out into other third world countries um the i think estimate for phase two to get all the businesses up and running um Probably looking towards twenty to thirty thousand dollars. That's not bad. It's not, it's not terrible, yeah. uh, considering we need a block machine and um, a sawmill machine, and those are those are two of the bigger expenses, which probably put it close to twenty thousand uh, dollars. Sawmills are probably close to like fifteen twenty grand. Yeah, and then a block making machine, or they're really not that expensive, four or five thousand um, dollars. And those are two businesses that we want to put in there. So that we can teach the kids, you know, how to make blocks, how to cut wood. And man, that's so useful. Not Okay, you're job training these guys. That's a huge win. They now have a productive life. They can live. You now have an opportunity to, to disciple them. So win, win. Now you're also creating a supply chain for your your ministry to be able to do other things. Wouldn't it be great if you had access to high quality lumber and cinder blocks for the builds you do? We're uh, a carpentry class. So that man, you're you're win after win after win on top of each other. It's all it all serves a purpose. So after thirty forty grand, business. yeah. So our five or six businesses that we have are. Uh, so I don't know if y'all know what a pulperia is, but it's a, basically a convenience store. It's when it you get your Coke fix. It's where I get my Coke fix. You know, <laughs> Coca-Cola, 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 <laughs> and uh, you know all the Pepsi is ever bought from all the other people. Yeah. I'm the only one that buys the Cokes and, and they buy the Pepsis. So uh, the Coke go. here is sweeter for whatever reason. The Coke here is so much better. Than it is so great. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's sweeter and it just has a better base. I don't know. Carbonation is just better. Uh, but anyway, they basically will have, we have a store that's already built. It just needs to be funded inside like the product, mm -hmm. you know, the merchandise. Um, so basically it's going to, sell our produce that we're going to be growing which is uh, basically a little store that sells all the goods that you need in your household like yeah. it could be uh, anything related to food anything related to drinks uh, it could even sell little gas tanks for their for their stoves it could sell gallons of you know water or five gallon things of water it can sell all the produce that we make uh, or we could get it and have it delivered if we don't, if we can't grow it. Uh, and then it also sells anything from spices all the way to toilet paper. Yeah. Anything you need in your household. 
uh, and it will be there. Ice creams, you know, whatever. This is the miniature Honduran it's Dollar General. Dollar General. I mean, yeah. miniature gas station. Yeah. Uh, if you will. And so these people can just show up, tell them what they want, and then they can, you know, buy it. And then my students who will be running the place uh, will often take turns in these businesses and get a feel for every business. Oh, cool. And they'll get to sell the item, document it, inventory. They'll get to order so they understand how the business works. And how much will it cost to inventory out the pulpery? Well, probably to start since from, you know, from scratch, you have to buy everything. Um, and then uh, you just basically replenish it as time goes. About $4,000 to, to put a potpourri together. So that's basically stocking the store, Stunk. buying the refrigerator. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then. So the businesses are the Pulperia. And then we, we have a restaurant, which is coming. Uh, we've actually got $50,000 worth of donations um, for in equipment. A bakery, restaurant, coffee restaurant. Those two things will be together. Okay. The container is the only thing we're waiting on and to send it. So we have some people in the States who are very kind who used to own a um, big... Uh, I think they like repair things Okay. or anytime like a big bakery place goes out of business or they upgrade, they always get rid of their old stuff. Yeah. <coughs> and so they would take all their old stuff, refurbish it and they would put it in their storage and they would donate it. How oh, cool. So it's a very under the radar ministry. I won't say who unless yeah. they, they want me to, I'll, I'll re re reveal that. In the notes. Yeah. Obviously, we can reveal that if they want contact information, if I can get that approved. Yeah. But um, they have agreed to send roughly $50,000 in value. Oh, how cool. Of equipment. So ice maker, baker, all the bakery things you need, ovens, fridges, freezers, coolers, warmers, everything you can think of, tables. And so we got all that donated. It's sitting in Florida, just needs to be shipped. Yeah. A container, um, and we're planning on making it a container type restaurant. Okay, like that, it's like a food truck. Yeah, you know, basically. So it'll also have a drive-through on one side. So if you find us on R1T1, you might can see a couple of videos on the floor on the layout of all the businesses. Um, so we have that aquaponics system. That's one. We have a carpentry shop, which is another thing that they learn. We have carpentry classes for them. We have technology we do we train them in plumbing we train them in electricity welding that's shocking shocking it's shocking oh and and electricity yeah we shock we shock the fire out <laughs> <laughs> they they think they're all tough and still <laughs> till they get zapped yeah so it, it it sets them up yeah real good You've never seen somebody stand so straight in your life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying fundraising videos with that, and it would go a long way. <laughs> Help these men stand straight. No, I have this idea. We could we could bring people on the torch trip in the summer and do like a, a Taze the Deacon project. Taze the Deacon. You know, I, I'd contribute heavily to Taze. Get Tased or donate? Uh, I would pay money to Taze specific deacons. Uh, oh, my <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? So we've got the property, obviously, at the end of all that. Okay, so that's the last three. To purchase. Yes. And so this property is quite large, and it would be 
obviously well, we could put a building on the back of it, but this property is roughly $150,000 uh, just because of the sheer size of it. I mean, it's commercial highway frontage. It's frontage. Uh, and really, you guys might think that's a lot, but think about what each one individual owns in the States. Yeah. We have roughly that in assets that we sit on, you know, um, or maybe that we owe the bank yet, you know, we don't <laughs> so, but at least we sign up, you know, and this is a ministry that's going to be here forever, mm -hmm. you know? And so if we own this, we can kind of guarantee it's time there and it's just going to be growing from there. So imagine once that's done, it might take a couple of years. Uh, I, I had hopefully planned a year. I was going to go do some small businesses on the side, create the money myself, but it's just everything here in Honduras is so time consuming. It's hard for me to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. because my focus is, is God, everything God related here. Yeah. So, um, I think that's common that we, if, if obviously we have to make sure we're funded, we have yeah. to make sure we're funded, you know, Paul used to make tents, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to, to stay alive, yeah. to do, to, to do mission work. So, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't fully supported yeah, or wasn't supported. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure how he was paid, but, uh, I know that he was making tents yeah. to help support himself. Uh, so I think it's, I don't think it would be wrong for, for someone to do a business to try to make a ministry work. Uh, obviously that, I think that that would show more evidence that you truly love God. I, you're doing it for him and no other reason. I worked bivocationally for the first several years of my ministry, and I miss that uh, because it brought me into contact regularly with people that I would never be in contact with any other way. You know, really? it was it was a neat continuation of ministry. Um, yeah. You know, I, I love what I do now. Full-time work is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, there's more cool stuff to do than there is ever time to do it. And I don't know how I did it before, you know, <laughs> once you've gone full-time, it's hard to go back. But there was something pretty cool to the tent-making side. There's also just that nice little piece of, you know, I make more of my secular job so I can say whatever I want to say, you know, um, a certain freedom that brings. But, man, you've got some some cool plans. And I, I hope maybe that some folks listening um, heard some of some of those things and maybe this is you know god's nudge saying hey you that's the thing you care about yeah nobody says it's going to be easy and but i know it's not impossible yeah it's very very achievable um for something that can grow to be in you know a multi-country yeah international you know ministry no one's doing the aquaponics thing no like no, you no. are we're one of very we're probably the only ones right now in central america yeah and um you mentioned that your wife does um, chemistry yeah so she's she's a, a chemist and probably understands aquaponics better than me she understands how to dissolve my body so i, I would assume so you know <laughs> uh so if we know if you end up missing then we should just come find your wife you know i like to start every wedding ceremony by reminding people um of one of the most significant things that happens after a wedding after a wedding we now know for certain who the prime suspect will be if you ever go missing. That's the one thing you can guarantee from anybody. It's it's an important spiritual moment for people to realize. Yeah, surreal. It's true. It's true. You know, 
Dalton, man, this has been fun. Thank you. Let me guess. Another question? No, I'm going to stop. <laughs> I mean, you got anything you're going to go for it. I'm not going to cut you off. No, What's no, that? no. I, I'm done. But if you want to have another podcast, talk about other things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pick my Honduran brain. Pick my Honduran brain.com. It's <laughs> where you'll find all you nuts. There you go. <laughs> I, should, I should buy the website now before it's but, too late. Before I get to it. <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. Quick, quick, quick. Go, daddy. You know? Well, this has been awesome, friends. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for uh, sharing this podcast with a friend, and I hope that you will uh, look at the show notes for the links to IRC and Torch and Reach One and all of the all the cool things that uh, that are going on down here. And I hope that uh, maybe this is your little nudge um, to try something new, to take a step. I, I don't know what it is, but most of us live our lives too comfortable, too simple, not too simple, but too comfortable. Um, and just you know, uh, that's not for me. But I don't know. Maybe you should try it and find out. You might be right, but you might be wrong. And a better way to find out than try it. So, anywho, that's enough for today. I hope you'll share this, and I hope that um, I hope it mattered to you. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I can't wait to hear what God is up to in your story. Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes His love into our stories.